0: From the well pruned studios of PBS 39 at the PPL Public Media Center in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another rosy hour of chemical free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Is the spirit of Martha Stewart urging you to pick up pruners and do something about your ratty looking landscape? Have you been growing figs for years without ever getting any actual figs? Well, we'll save your roses from senseless attack and get you ready to make fig newtons in a double-barreled question of the week. Plus, this marks my 20th year hosting the annual Empty Bowl Dinner to benefit people without proper housing. I'll explain how and why we do that and show off a bunch of really cool bowls. Plus, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and dazzlingly defiant denunciations so pour yourself some fresh kibble cats and kittens because it all starts right here right now and we're going to get that started with phil at 833-727-9588 phil welcome to you bet your garden thank you well thank you phil how you doing man very good and where is phil doing very good
1: Marlton, New Jersey.
0: Ah, the Garden State. So you must have a plethora of garden tips to help us out with, right Phil? You everybody in Jersey is a gardener by nature.
1: I think you're in trouble if you're looking for my help.
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm always in trouble, Phil. It just seems to work out that way. What can we do you for, sir?
1: Well, I have a peach tree.
0: Oh, you you are in trouble. <laughs> and
1: you know, after the first couple of years, I got peaches. I've got peaches on it for one year. And then the next year, the deer ate all my peaches. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to put a fence around it.
0: Okay. <laughs> then
1: the next year, I believe the plum curculio beetle got to it.
0: That's pretty close to the, uh, it's, uh, it's a weevil kind of a bug. Yeah. Plum yeah, curculio.
1: Yeah, it, it was, uh, they got to about marble size and they would drop off, and I saw the little cuts. Okay. So the following year, I got some spray, and I sprayed it.
0: Okay. Uh, some spray. That's the, what it said on the bottle, right, Phil? It some said it spray. Of, yeah.
1: Well, it, 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 I had a hard time finding it, uh, but it did say it would take care of that plum curculo beetle. Yeah. So so the same thing happened. Take I care I of a similar too. thing happened. <laughs> the... the they got about marble size and they fell off. But it didn't have the little cuts in it like the plum curculo beetle does.
0: Right. Because, you no offense, uh, you never tried to investigate how to grow peaches. You just kind of hoped Tinkerbell would come and splash them with fairy dust every morning and you'd make peach cobbler at the end of the year. Peaches and apples are very labor intensive. They are the hardest, Real, uh, really, they're the hardest plants for even commercial growers. Um, Uh, worse for home growers so uh, peaches uh, as you know the tree grows wildly and peaches and apples need to be pruned heavily every late winter early spring just as they do that
1: religiously every year
0: okay good and you're taking out branches that are straight up crossing branches any damaged wood yes okay good well, you've got you've got a good start. Then it seems like the only other thing you're doing uh, is you're not thinning the fruits.
1: No, I'm thinning the fruit.
0: Too. Oh, okay, because you're saying they're dropping.
1: Yes. And I mean, I would say I probably had 300 peaches. I probably pr- thinned them out to about 100.
0: Okay. That's, you know, 150 would be better, oddly enough. But, no, it sounds like you're on the right track. Um All right. Let's drop back then. How um, did you plant the tree yourself?
1: Uh, Yeah. A neighbor had given it to me. Oh, it's been five or six years at least now.
0: And was it bald and burlapped or in a pod or bare root?
1: I I don't remember. But, I mean, it's been growing for, you know, five, six, seven years now.
0: And uh, have you ever gotten good peaches off of it?
1: Yeah, I did. Like, uh, about the second year, second or third year, I got peaches and then I got it, like, the following two years. But they were the two years the deer got to it, like, the night before I was going to pick them. And they ate every one.
2: Well, how could it. deer get
0: up? And Did they have climbing gear on them, Phil?
1: Well, I, the tree's only about uh, eight feet tall. Well, yeah, they get up on the back of their feet. And
0: <laughs> they are clever. So, okay, here's what, you know, last year, one of the things that happened is a lot of plants were simply stressed by the environment by the constant rain that we got. It was a terrible year. Um, And I apologize. You're actually doing a lot better um, than I thought you would be doing. You're pruning, you're thinning. Uh, Let's, and uh, are you feeding the tree or is it mulched?
1: Uh, Yeah, I feed it with an organic fertilizer. I don't know uh, if I could say
0: Espoma. Sure, sure, yeah. They make good uh, natural and organic fertilizers. And um, is it mulched?
1: No, it's not mulched. Now I do keep it uh, so there's no grass growing because I okay. know you're not supposed to do that.
0: All right. I would like you to add a one-inch mulch of yard waste compost just for good luck. So, yeah, and
1: I, well, I did throw some compost on it too.
0: Okay, good. So next year, you know, this year it was like the poor people who've been battered by these hurricanes. You know, there's just some times when nature beats you down and there's nothing you could have done. Fruit drop. The, the
1: plant got stressed.
0: Yes, exactly correct. Fruit drop okay. is generally um, caused when you don't thin the fruits because then nature will thin them and she'll do a nasty job of it. But as long as you're taking off, and I would ask you to go up to half the number of peaches on the tree, go up to like 150, and make sure there's plenty of room in between them. And then in terms of controlling plum curculio, there's an oriental fruit moth that goes after uh, peaches as well. I want you to get uh, Surround, which is a micronized clay spray. Um, Gardens Alive, I know, sells it, and I think it's available more and more in retail stores now. This is no poisons. It's just a clay. You spray it um, when the peaches are about marble-sized. And insects just can't stand to land on that, like, clay covering. And diseases can't penetrate it. So you don't have to worry about exactly what you're fighting, what pastor disease is going to come in. Um, Just keep that clay spray on the tree. And rather than interfere with photosynthesis, they've shown that it actually improves the size and quality of the fruit. So there's really nothing— nothing no negatives with using it and make sure that it's not squirrels eating your peaches if you think there's squirrels getting into the tree you might want to set up a motion activated sprinkler uh to protect i don't
1: think so because they're not getting eaten
0: what are they getting
1: they're just falling on the ground
0: oh okay the little baby ones yes yeah nobody wants to eat those Okay, well, you might, I'm I'm warning you, you might have some problems with squirrels, possums, other wildlife um, when the peaches get nice and big. But be prepared for that. Maybe have a motion-activated sprinkler ready to aim into the tree to chase the evil squirrels away. But I think you can rack up this year uh, to just plant stress from too much water, because it sounds like you're doing a lot of things correctly. Okay,
1: thank you very much. All right, good luck, Phil. Oh, thank you. Take care now.
0: One eight three three seven two seven ninety-five eighty eight. Kate, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad uh, to have you here, Kate. Uh where are you?
3: I am in Whitehall, right a spit up the road. I'm so happy and excited that you're here in the Lehigh Valley.
0: Oh, Whitehall as in the land Whitehall. of giant malls and stores, endless stores.
3: Yes, that's exactly right. Just but I don't live in that part. I, my neighbors are a graveyard, so they're very quiet at night, Mike.
0: Yeah, but people are dying to get in. You
3: know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All
0: right, Kate, enough foolishness. Okay. What can we do you for?
3: Get down to business here. I have, I guess, a poison oak, poison sumac, you know, the kind that looks like a tree. Okay and it's, and I live in an apartment and they're growing right close to, you know, the ground where the um, uh, the concrete is. And I mean, I I try and I try, but the roots are just so you know, they they don't they don't want to give up. But I need to get rid of it. And right. I wonder how could I do that?
0: Okay, so you have a a plant with allergenic um sap on it. And it's growing in a tree form and not climbing up anything?
3: No, it's like it has a a tree root. You know, it doesn't start like that, but... And it's like a... I don't know how to explain it. Um,
0: Okay, is it a freestanding tree, or has it attached itself to an object with a tree-like root that's big and hairy and growing up a tree or a building? Yeah, Okay, that's poison ivy. Okay. And it, is it growing up a tree or is it growing up this side of your building?
3: The side of the building.
0: Okay. And it's coming out of a fairly obvious spot in the ground. What, what's growing around where it comes out of the ground?
3: Just grass and, you know, a few weeds here
0: and there. Okay. The easiest – and how the heck were you trying to pull this? These things get big and monstrous and dangerous.
3: Well, actually my my neighbor uh tried to do it for me, and he did it, you know I mean he cut them down, but I know they're going to come back.
0: Oh, okay, so it is cut down. Yeah, and but, did he but
3: the roots are still intact.
0: Right. Did he pull it away from the um from the house, or is the dead vine still going up the house?
3: It's still going.
0: Okay, One thing I want to warn you and everybody else out there is poison ivy has that allergenic sap um that can give you a rash even after it's been dead for years okay. so just because the plant is no longer alive doesn't mean it can't give you a very bad allergic reaction that oil can last for years after the plant itself is dead okay. uh, but that vine because it's now deprived of nutrients the vine is going to brown and wither and you know either be pulled away professionally a couple years from now or you know, just fall down. Now, the easiest thing to do, I would say, is simply smother the area where the vine came out of the ground. Get down there or have him get down there with, um, we're being serious now, with like a piece of sheet metal or something like that, and make sure you cover all the areas where the vine was coming out of the ground. Right. And then just shovel mulch over top of the, sheet metal and make it look normal and then keep an eye out because as my friend umar who was on our first show from the lehigh valley here explained the underground runners need to have a node um, a specialized part of the root system to send up a new plant Right. The I, earth. So I,
3: wa- I watched that show. I was hoping to get on that show, but I'm honored that it was your that I was able to watch your show on TV from the Lehigh Valley.
0: Yeah. Uh, believe me, the honor is all mine. I love being here. Now, um, so you're going to cover that over with a big piece of sheet metal. Put mulch. Up, pull, put, mulch uh, <laughs> put mulch on top of that, and then just keep your eye out around the edges of the metal. Uh, If a new vine comes up out of the ground, it's going to be very slender, very weak. It's going to be starved for light. And then all you do is get a couple of plastic bags, like from the Acme or the giant supermarket or something like that. Put one on each hand. Soak the ground where the sprout is coming out of the ground. Um, With a bag over your hand, just pull gently down at the soil line until you get the root out. Then wrap the other bag over that hand and throw the whole schmageggie in a trash can um, and just keep an eye on it for the first year. You can also use undiluted white vinegar, just regular white vinegar, and you can either spray the new vine when it comes up or just soak the soil around it. Either way, the fact that the monster is dead, any new sprouts will be easy to handle if you catch them early on.
3: It sounds like a plan, baby.
0: And remember to warn everybody else not to touch the, quote, dead vine, because they'll still get a serious rash.
3: I will, because we have children that, uh, you know, like play in my yard, and I just don't want them to get all itchy.
0: Good, good. They're itchy enough, right? Right. All right. Well, thanks for being on. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Kate.
3: And thank you. And I'll come down and see you soon.
0: Okay. Very good. We're here.
3: Okay. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. Now.
0: 833-727-9588. Lynn, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Good afternoon, Mike.
0: All right. What can we do for Lynn in Andorra, PA?
3: Okay. Um, last year, we planted butterfly bushes and coneflowers. I like to attract my um, the butterflies and the hummingbirds and the bees and such. Sure. Well, my coneflowers, I was told I shouldn't have lopped them all off at the bottom last season when it ended, um, I should have left the deadheaded seeds and such for the birds over the winter. Is this true? And if so, when do I cut them down and how far do I cut them?
0: Uh, Yes, it is true. Uh, One of the things, we, we have this cleanliness ethic where we feel like the garden should be stripped bare in the fall. But in truth, the entire garden, all of our wildlife, all of our plantings, are going to be better if we leave it alone. Nobody does this in the wild. So, for instance, you have a great example there, uh, the dried seed pods of coneflowers that have, you know, gone the way of the eternal. They do provide good food for birds at the beginning of the winter. Same with those big pods that follow the flowers on hosta plants. They are a great source of high-energy food for birds. And the answer to when you should cut your spent flowers down is pretty much never. What you want to do is if after the birds have raided the flowers and they don't look any good anymore, you can quote deadhead them by just cutting them off uh, with a pair of pruners right underneath the flower. But leaving the sticks, the stalks in place, is good for the survival, you know, your coneflowers are perennials. They're going to come back next year unless you cut them straight to the ground and we get a freezing cold winter without snow cover. Then that can freeze the crown of the plant and the root systems, whereby if you leave those sticks in place, there's more biomass on top to accept the harsh reality of winter. And if we get snow, snow gets trapped by those sticks. And snow is the absolute best mulch over winter. It insulates the plant. It keeps the temperature level underneath that snow cover. It is the best mulch. And when you leave those sticks and stems up, it really protects the plants, uh, again, from a harsh winter. You'll be very happy with the results.
3: Thank you so very much, Fun. You have a great day.
0: You too, Lynn. Take care.
3: Talk to you again. Bye.
0: Bye bye. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we have a very special interview segment for you right now cats and kittens this is the 20th anniversary of our public radio show it is also the 20th anniversary of me hosting a very special annual event held in the philadelphia area which is the empty bowl dinner you see in front of us we have this plethora of beautiful bowls we'll explain to you why they're here and why I do this every year as we explore what this event is about. It's a very important event. Um, with me is Rachel Falcove, the Executive Director of the Interfaith Hospitality Network who have grown uh, this annual event from a very small dinner party into a crazed endeavor where everybody has too much fun. Rachel, welcome back to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Thanks so much, Mike.
0: In our new digs, what do you think?
2: Oh, it looks pretty good on you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So was it the first empty bowl dinner when you called and asked if I could talk about it on the air?
2: Uh, it sure was.
0: Okay. So 20 years ago, I had been on the air at WHYY, maybe a month tops, and you called about this event you were doing in November and asked if I could talk about it on the air. And I said, well, it's, it's not about gardening. I mean, there are soups involved, so if there's vegetable soup, that's something. But um, all that I can do, uh, how about if I host it? And you said, what would you do? And I said, I don't know. I'll show up and figure it out, kind of like I do every week on this show. And we've been doing it for 20 years now. Um, let me explain a little bit about how it works because it's, it's an immersive experience. It's not just a dinner. You come in, and you, see, you guys see all these beautiful bowls in front of me. Well, imagine a room with literally 20 times this many bowls, all on tables around you, um, and underneath the tables are more bowls, so when somebody picks out a bowl that they really like, say, this is, this is the bowl that they're going to take home with them. Now, this is a classy one. This was made by a local potter, a group of artisans. Um, some people, however, want a bowl that was made by a school child in the Philadelphia area. And here's the one that I would be taking home. I know there's some glare there, but they, they made a ducky, and the ducky is in the middle of the bowl. I just think this is absolutely ducky glorious. Yeah, yeah. And I disappear at the dinner over and over again because I've got my favorite bowl, but I know every hour they'll change over. So I'm always going to back in and try to trade up my bowls. So the hardest part... Of this whole thing is you have to choose your bowl and then you go into a gigantic room where there's tables set up and local restaurants have provided hot soups their best soups and don't worry you don't have to drown the ducky or wonder exactly what the school child made this (laughs) bowl out of (laughs) but uh there are disposable bowls all around and we have tremendous volunteers. Where do the kids come from who volunteer at this event?
2: Oh, the kids come from area campuses and high schools and even some junior highs. All of the bowls are made by children in uh, 15, 20 different schools from around the area. And
0: then you've got professionals, again, who are making. This is my second favorite bowl. This is my favorite a professionally made bowl. I mean, I would buy this in a gift shop, wouldn't you? It's absolutely gorgeous. But again, the bowls are all over the place in terms of their size, shape, uh, usability. I use my ex bowls as change things in the house or candy dishes. So when you get your soup, you get a, you get a disposable bowl that theoretically you'll use all night and then leave behind. So. Rachel, why are we getting together, picking out a beautiful bowl, and then sitting down communally and eating soup?
2: Well, this dinner is always the week before Thanksgiving, and it's a time when we're remembering what we're thankful for, and we're also beginning to remember that there are so many people in our community who don't have soup to fill their bowls, but they look at empty bowls every night. And so people go to this dinner and they bring home a bowl after they've eaten their soup.
0: That was one of the things that impressed me at my very first dinner, is when you get your bowl, you're told that you will take home your bowl at the end of the evening as a reminder of those whose bowls are empty all around the country.
2: That's correct. and. Um, People have collections and collections of these bowls each I got year. <laughs> used for all different kinds of things, but the main thing is that it's used to remind everyone about the plight of so many thousands and thousands of families in our country, in fact two and a half million children who will experience homelessness and hunger over the next year.
0: It's devastating. There was a statistic in the Morning Call, the local newspaper here, about the Allentown School District. Every day, they serve six hundred homeless yes. children, and they just hired a guy who seems like the perfect guy for the job. Who's trying to integrate them, you know, because they they don't they don't make friends at school. Maybe they're a little ashamed, so he's trying to be the liaison uh, between them and the other kids, and. Just matter-of-factly, he said, I have to remember every morning when I come in that there are 600 kids in the school district who just survived another night of potential horror, and we have to make this the most welcoming okay. place for them. And then it said, uh, in a bad year, it's a 1,000 homeless kids throughout the school district. And I know you and I talked about in the past the gravity of the situation, and it's overwhelming. Well, you can't we can't save 600 kids we can't save a thousand kids um, but the goal of the interfaith hospitality network is to save one family at a time to give them back their life before we go any further the empty bowl dinner in our area will be held wednesday evening november 14th and there's three seatings there's a seating at four o'clock there's a seating at 5:30, and then there's a final seating at seven o'clock and it is at the united lutheran seminary at 7300 germantown avenue in philadelphia we'll have all that information up on our website hopefully there's a crawl going underneath us right now telling people that information but i guarantee you'll have a great time just by getting the bowl eating the soup but as a special added attraction i show up every year and offer to answer any gardening questions that our guests have. And what the, the event has grown. It was just one seating when we started this thing.
2: About 150 families. I mean, 150, yeah, just about 150 people.
0: Come to each seating or the whole schmuck?
2: No, that's how we started. Oh, and now we're up yeah. to about 1,200 people yeah. in three seatings.
0: Yeah, I know, because I have no voice left at the end of the night. But it is a great event. And the, the hook of the bowls is so perfect because you go to the, a lot of these charity events, but you walk into this room, this burst of color, and you've got this dichotomy of a professional bowl. Hold up one of the kitty bowls in, in, in front of you over there. Which one do you like? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's a kid up oh, closer to you. Yeah, there is a kid who had a good time You know, making the flowers and, oh, and look at the back of it. I mean, now that's Japanese. That's Oriental. And here it's flowers and a rainbow. That's two bowls in one, ladies and gentlemen. You picked that (laughs) one, right?
2: That's why I picked it.
0: And then the money goes to the Interfaith Hospitality Network. And let me try to explain in my own way what I think you do, and then you'll correct me, as you've been doing since college. We went to school together. the money from this event and from other fundraisers uh, goes to help people who, you know, are, are either homeless or close to it or just certainly don't have a safe place to live, and we, I, I include myself in this after 20 years, um, we take them in, and they go to uh, a local church or Uh, whatever. Synagogue. Synagogue, church, synagogue. I'm trying to think of a a for them all. Mm -hmm. Um, A a religious place, a place where people go to get religion. And they stay there for a week and they get job training, they get child care, um, have help picking out interview clothes and things like that. And the goal is to get them on their feet. But am I correct that if at the end of the week nothing magical has happened yet, they just go on to another community and they're there for a week and maybe it'll take two weeks, maybe it'll take three, maybe it'll take six. But at the end, I I believe we, you, your people, have a tremendous success rate at getting these people back into safe housing.
2: We do. We have a 92% success rate of all the people who successfully complete our program, never experience another episode of homelessness again. Never. Never.
0: Because these are people who most of their lives, if not homeless, they've been
2: one step away. That's correct. Uh, Many people in this country, as some of the listeners well know, are living paycheck to paycheck, and it doesn't take very much to fall. Car
0: breaks down, medical emergency, uh, fight inside the family.
2: Right, right, or just a temporary job loss where you, you lose a job and then a month later you find another job, but what do you do about the rent in the meantime? And that's why so many of um, our interfaith hospitality networks. What, a, what and- a
0: great name. You know, interfaith because every religion takes part in, in this, having the people for a week. And hospitality, uh, you know, it's great. It's almost like you're training them to work in a hotel, you
2: know? Well, we are hosting people in our second homes. Congregations are often people's second homes. And um, when we host people, we sit down to dinner with them. They're part of our family. And we become like one big family. Um, In fact, our national organization is called Family Promise. And Interfaith Hospitality Network is a program of family promise. We have 240 networks around the country. And um, we're all responding to homelessness, either suburban or rural or urban like we are. a lot
0: of pockets that people don't expect. It's not all in the cities.
2: That's correct.
0: And there are empty bowl dinners in many places around the country, right? All around the same time of year.
2: All around the same time of the year, actually November is National um, Homelessness um, Awareness. Rema- Awareness Month, and um, and so many many organizations are, you know, helping to hoping that people will become more conscious of the fact that there are so many people who are homeless in our our society. But in this case. They really get to
0: have a fun evening. I can't emphasize how cool this is. The kids that dole out the soups and clean up and kind of cheer people on, they are magnificent kids. We have, uh, we still have our relationship with the Phillies charities.
2: That's right. Don't forget those Philly ball girls.
0: Yep, that's right. Philly ball girls are often there dishing out soup, and every once in a while, this giant fairy guy from the Galapagos wanders around and makes people happy. He sure And does. you get a bowl, and you get all the soup you can eat. What more do you want? Eggs in your beer?
2: Oh, we should try that soup. <laughs> yeah,
0: if like, we sold beer, we'd make <laughs> twice as much money. But I think the event would change. Well, so what? Sh-
2: show me which bowl c-
0: catches your eye here, because that's when I go to this thing. I always make sure I spend as much time talking to listeners as um, as I possibly can. Show the back of that one too, because that's that's so cool. I it love has the feet, the little feet, right? Yeah, everything. Little feet. That was a good band back from our college days. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and here's one, this looks a little bit more, this is like half pro, no, no, this is totally professional.
2: It's a, no, it's a student ball. Is it? Taught by a professional. It looks like it's somebody was BB. learning how to throw a wheel.
0: BB. Throw on
2: the field. wheel. Mm-hmm. Pardon? It looks like somebody was trying to learn how to throw on the wheel. Yeah,
0: well they did a darn good job. They Again, did. I would buy this. How much would you pay for this? Wait, there's more, you get soup in the philadelphia area it all takes place wednesday november 14th no hold that one up we're a gardening show look we got a tree yeah okay so that that pays the rent you know (laughs) it's wednesday november 14th at the united lutheran seminary on germantown avenue 7300 germantown avenue in philadelphia there are three seatings and that's one thing that's changed we have to be serious about these seatings we get so many people If you want to experience the full thing and not be rushed, come to the first seating if you can. Come to the 4 o'clock seating. Obviously, the 5.30 seating is just a wonderful riot of bowls and soup slurping. And people. And then the last one is 7 to 8.30. I will be there for all of it on my feet the whole time. We have jazz music. We have live
2: music. We're giving away cars.
0: We give. Uh, that's. We don't have time to go into all okay. that, but one thing that has evolved over the years is um, a homeless family or a family previously homeless, um, they get entered into a raffle if they do real good, and they get a car. They get a car that was in an accident and got reconditioned back to perfect shape, and Be there to see the look on that person's face, because in so many cases, that car is your lifeline. It's your future. It's your survival. So,
2: Rachel, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me.
0: Thank you for being had. Um, Thank you for putting on the event every year. Thank you for having me. Once again, in the Philadelphia area, it's Wednesday, November 14th. Uh, Be there for 4 o'clock. 5.30 or 7 o'clock. It's at the United Lutheran Seminary on Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia. Much more information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. Rachel Falco, thank you again. Thank you. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to the question of the week, and Ernie Banks special. We're going to play, too. It's so nice outside. We're going to talk about why you shouldn't prune your roses now and what you should do to get figs from that fig tree next season. Until then, a couple more of your fascinating phone calls. At 1-88... No, that's the old number. I must forget the old number. Must forget 833-727-9588. Tavia, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, Tavia. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am just ducky. Thank you so much for asking. What can we do? Oh, where are you from?
4: I'm from Slatington, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. Uh, that, it's not quite cold country, but you can get there from there?
4: Not too far away.
0: Yeah. All right. What can we do for Tavia in Slate, Slatington?
4: Did um, did they make
0: slate there? Did they mine slate? Is that where that comes to. from? Yes. Okay. I got a slate uh, roof. That's.
4: So my question is my family and I one red maple tree was attacked by a swarm of the lovely spotted lantern flies. Ooh. And we were wondering what we need to do with the tree if it's better to pesticide control it? or cut it down and burn it. Um, it's a 30-year-old tree, so oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty old. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, good. Now, uh, the spotted lanternfly, uh, you know, I didn't think that it had gotten as far north as Slatington. It seems to be going the other directions. You know, it was um, it was down in the southern tip of Lehigh County. Now it's been spotted in New Jersey and Virginia. But these things are hard to miss so to speak they're hard to misdiagnose and you say they attack the tree in a swarm yes which is what they do now what was your reaction did you do anything to get them off the tree
4: um they my my family and i have pretty much let it alone and within two days the swarm was gone
0: oh
2: okay
4: bark is already peeling
0: off the tree okay because they are they are sap suckers And when they attack in those huge numbers, yeah, they can cause bark damage. What I would have urged you to do if we had spoken right then is uh, to blow them off the tree with either a garden hose or even better, a pressure washer with just a tiny bit of soap in it. Very satisfying seeing them go flying in every direction. And they'll be clean when they hit the ground. So what you want to do now, is the tree mulched at all? Do you ever feed it? Is it growing near a treated lawn?
4: Um, yes, it's mulched, and it's a treated lawn.
0: Okay, what's it mulched with?
4: Uh, I believe it's red bark we used.
0: Okay, so get that away from there. That only weakens trees. You've never seen a tree mulched in nature, have you, walking through the woods or anything like that? No. That's a total human artificiality that weakens trees. And some of the colored mulches are actually chipped up pallets from China that were insecticide-soaked before they were chipped up and spray-painted that got awful color. So just move that mulch away from the tree, because, again, that can only steal nitrogen and weaken the tree. Replace that with a nice mulch of compost. But the most important thing is you want to really look around that area for their egg cases. Have you done any online research to see what what the egg cases are? <clears throat> Excuse me, what the egg sacs they lay look like? Yes. Okay, so you know they kind of look like mud splatters. Have you found any?
4: I have not found any.
0: Okay, keep an eye out. Um, if you do find any, of the advice is just drop it into a jar with some alcohol or hand sanitizer inside. Um, and then keep an eye out early in the spring the uh, larval form, the so called nymphs of the spotted lantern fly. They are really cool looking, but they look nothing like the adults. Did you see any of them? They're kind of squarish plant hoppers that are black with white stars covering their body. No other color. It's 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 actually really striking. Did you see any of those before the attack? I have not. Okay. So next season, you want to keep an eye out Once you see those, it means the lantern flies are coming next. And again, one of the best defenses is don't let them get started. As soon as they appear on great numbers on the tree, instantly spray them off with really fierce streams of water. I mean, some people have a hose that can deliver a a good blast if the nozzle can be adjusted correctly. But I like the idea of hitting them with a pressure washer oh man that i'd sell tickets to that i'd watch them go flying all over the place and then uh, i would say once that cluster is gone the tree should be fine so hopefully the tree leafed out it leafs out nice every spring you got a good canopy on it yes so that's really the source of the energy for the tree is and are the leaves still on the tree are they turning color they're still on the tree okay Great, great. I, I don't think the tree was severely damaged. It may not look nice. Um, but a tree that old that is still holding on to its leaves and otherwise appears normal should make it. But, again, get that, get that wood mulch out of there. Wood mulch is not good for any plants. Um, get, get a bag, e- even if you just buy a nice bag of quality compost and mulch around the bottom of the tree. Don't let anything touch the bark of the tree. And that'll give it a nice, gentle feeding. That'll allow it to pick and choose what nutrients it wants. Don't use any tree spikes or any kind of uh, chemical plant food designed for trees. And then just keep an eye out. The biggest secret to successful organic growing is just be aware of what's going on with your plants every day. And when you see these really cool looking guys, I mean, they almost look like a dice, uh, when you see them, get ready to blow the lantern flies off the tree uh, at the next site. Don't use the sticky paper they're, um, they're telling people to wrap around the trees. It has wound up catching a lot of bats, birds. I actually saw a wildlife rehab place that showed me a picture of a, uh, a young red-tailed hawk that had gotten caught in the sticky paper around the tree. So there's better ways of handling these insects. And um, I think your tree will be fine in the spring that's great to hear all right
4: all right thank you so much for your help
0: oh thank you for calling tave bye bye and as promised it is now time for the question of the week which i'm reading from a sheet of paper because they're too cheap to get me a teleprompter anyway we're calling the question of the week Can I please prune my roses now, and how can I get ripe figs? Yes, it's a double-barreled question of the week. Both questions from Lynn in Rockville, Maryland, who writes, My roses have gotten really big, gangly, and tall, and big. Is this a good time to prune them? No, it is not, Lynn. In fact, it is pretty close to the worst time. Pruning stimulates new growth. Pruning in the fall stimulates that growth just as the plants are trying to go dormant when they would naturally send their energy down into their root systems in advance of winter. Pruning disrupts this natural move to dormancy and can greatly stress the plants in question as they get pulled in two directions at once, one direction by nature and the other direction by your shears of death. Even worse, pruning next month when nighttime temperatures will be much lower and the lush new growth your pruning stimulates could freeze solid on the next night in the low 30s. I know. You're looking at your raggedy fall landscape, and your inner Martha Stewart is greatly tempting you to lock load and go out there and do something completely counter to the life cycle of the plants so that you can make things look nice for the people walking by who honestly don't care. Resist this temptation. The best time to prune roses and other summer bloomers is in the spring, about two weeks after new growth appears. Prune off all the bad-looking parts. Remove any old munch. Munch? Munch. Remove your old lunch. Remove any old mulch underneath the roses and your prunings. Remove those, of course. Apply an inch or two of a nice yard waste compost mulch and disease-free roses you will have next season. Or do what some bum on the street says, for all I care. Now, the dead of winter is also an acceptable time to prune roses as they will be fully dormant. But don't prune them too low down on the plants or you will expose the crown and the root system to the freezing cold temperatures of winter, especially if we get a really cold winter or a winter with really cold stretches and no snow cover. Snow cover is very protective for your plants. Now, We move on to part two of Lynn's thrilling email, in which she writes, I also have a fig tree whose main branches died last winter, but they grew back from the ground into a huge plant. As frost approaches, there are numerous small green figs on the tree that appeared late in the season, and I'm pretty sure they're not going to have time to ripen up. What do I do to prepare the tree to get ripe figs next season? Well, figs are Mediterranean plants that are half hardy in regions colder than USDA growing Zone 7, and sometimes in Zone 7 in winters with those long freezing cold stretches and no snow on the ground. Now, half hardy may be an actual horticultural term, or I may have just made it up, but it describes figs perfectly. Grow a fig anywhere in, say, Texas, Florida, or Georgia without any kind of protection, and odds are good that the plant may suffer a tiny bit of winter damage. Prune off those uh, winter-damaged areas when the tree greens up again in the spring, and that tree will then proceed to produce a wonderful ripe crop of figs. Maybe two crops if conditions were perfect and you grew the right variety. Now grow that same plant without protection in, say, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Delaware, and the entire top part of the tree will almost completely die or completely die over the winter. But the roots are virtually guaranteed to survive. Ah, but now the tree has to grow back all that biomass before it can even start to make little bitty figs. And it won't work. You won't get it in time to get those figs. Now, there are always exceptions. The top growth of a tree that's naturally protected by structures like the sides of a home or garden walls may not lose nearly as much biomass over winter, especially if it's planted in a high spot in the landscape that drains well. I lost my place. (laughs) A fig in also A fig that's in Center City, Philly, or downtown D.C. will always fare better than the same tree in the suburbs, and it's close to the shops. Now, if you're in a half-hardy area, it is always wise to position a new fig in a protected corner and or the highest ground available. Avoid poor, draining soil completely. It is also wise to offer some level of protection. The simplest way to do this is to pound stakes into the ground around the tree and wrap burlap around the stakes, not the tree. Because then the burlap would freeze solid, get wet, pull the tree down to the ground. Nobody likes it anymore. It's awful. The wonderfully obsessive side of this hobby is to frame up an actual house-like structure around the tree and cover that with burlap or some other breathable material. No tarps, no plastic. They retain too much heat on a sunny day and they can cook the tree. Either way, remove your wrappings when the landscape wakes up in the spring. Prune away any dead stuff and I bet you, you'll have to look up recipes for Fig Newtons. (coughs) Well, that sure was a smackdown of what you should not be doing right now, wasn't it? Get used to it, cats and kittens, and read all about it, because the Question of the Week appears in print every week at the Garden's Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. ORG stands for organic. Did you know that? Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to prune my pansies if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 1-833-PBS-WLVT or in human English, 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched, refuse teeming towards our garden shore at W- oh, but yeah, big, come on, come on. Why do I have trouble with this? Send us your email at ybyg at Please include your location. And yes, I know I'm dyslexic. You'll find all this new contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer and suspected producer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerley. Jazzy Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Kelly Hurd is our video editor. Our alias free director is Javier Diaz. Tavia Minnick works the phones. Regal Ron, get ready for it, Rouchet. How about that? He's our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jim McDonald, who has no fancy last name. Affable Andy Cummings makes our equipment work. Late for a meeting is our CEO, Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. And no, that's not my real name either, which is probably one reason I passed the FBI background check. And we'll be back here to see you on PBS 39. Have you hear me on a radio station somewhere or on our internet stream or via our Priceless podcast or be the card you can't wait to trade for a Ted Williams in a vintage pack of Fleer bubblegum cards. That's next week right here.